0: "'Wrongful murder. Sunday night. The murder in Leiden. "'Oh, shit! What the hell is that?' the driver exclaimed as he hit the brakes and spun the steering wheel of the big car hard to the left and felt its rear end begin to slide on the snow-covered street. A voice from the back seat whined. "'What the hell are you doing? I'll get seasick.' "'Shut up,' the driver said as he brought the car to a stop.' The huge man behind the wheel fumbled with his seatbelt and the door handle and stepped out on almost the body lying in the street. When a nearby mongrel snarled at him, he backed off a half a step. "'What?' he said as he stared at the body, which lay flat on its back in a crucifixion pose. The corpse blinked. "'What the hell, you nitwit? I could have killed you. What's wrong with you?' Making snow angels. "'Are you nuts? It's the middle of the night.' They're pretty in the dark. Do you like this one? The boy swung his arms and legs back and forth across the angel's wings and gown. Ain't it pretty? Dizzy likes it. I gotta rip your damned head off. Dizzy likes it. I should have run over you, you little dipshit, the man said as he got back in his car and turned to the back seat. Is he still alive? I don't know. He ain't breathed in a while. God, what a mess. The boss will kill us. We gotta get rid of him. "'If somebody comes, we're both dead. "'I'll stop up there and you dump him. "'Take everything out of his pockets. "'Can I have his watch?' "'You can have everything. "'Just get him out of the car so we can get the hell out of here. "'Hold on till I clean him out.' "'The driver inched the car forward, "'avoiding the boy who was forming another snow angel, "'and stopped near a sign that read Steuben's Alley. "'The man in the back flung his door open "'and dragged the body up alongside a wall.' and then jump back into the car. The driver fishtailed the big car down the slick street. Sunday afternoon in Saratoga Springs. Lieutenant Thomas Shard of the Mohawk County Sheriff's Department stood next to the 1950 Morgan Plus Four with its shiny forest green paint. It was the only Morgan at Saratoga Springs' final car show of the year, and Shard had to retain himself from running his hand down its sexy fender. And feel the leather straps that fastened its bonnet. He had slipped away for a rare day off and had driven his red 1954 Morgan several hours just to see this beauty. This one was in better shape than his, but it wasn't a daily driver. Of course, he considered his wasn't a daily driver either, given all day to refuse to start. Shard twisted his six-foot-plus frame into his leather seat to drive back to Leiden before the threatening clouds dumped their snowy loads all over upstate New York. But he was starved and decided to stop at the Iroquois, one of his favorite bars. He hadn't seen Ruth Scarpelli in a year and had a yen to eat one of her mouth-watering meatball tunnel sandwiches and enjoy a cold Utica Club beer. "'What the hell are you doing in these precincts?' she asked. "'Drove over just to rest my weary eyes on your sparkling visage.' "'Yeah, right.' And while I'm leering, I'll have my usual and some good conversation. He counted only four people in the bar. A couple of them looked like rough types. Woodsmen, perhaps. Guys out of the forest for a weekend in Albany. If things had been different, he might have gotten serious about Ruth. And if he were lucky, enjoy a warm winter snuggle down with her. She might be amenable, he thought, as he watched her approach his table. Her eyes sparkled and her body language was soft, silky, and suggestive. They made small talk, until Ruth, without any transition, said, You look lonely, detective. Have you seen Hope lately? Not since she walked out on me on almost four years ago. Have you? He really didn't want to have this conversation. Well, she and that guy she married had been in a couple of times, but she didn't have much to say. Shard turned the discussion to less emotional topics. They chatted until almost midnight. For some perverse reason, his car was more dependable on cold weather. He suspected it was because it relished the chance to suck freezing air in through the gaps in the side curtains. Its heater, a miracle of design, absorbed all the body warmth he gave off in the car. Shar drove back, uh, drove the back way home, worried about the snow that had started spitting earlier than predicted. The raucous ring of his hated cell phone interrupted his spaghetti sauce reverie, but at least he now knew where he'd lost it. Damn, he said, as he pulled over to the side of the road. Lieutenant Shard. Lieutenant, we've got a dead man in Steuben's alley, and I figured you'd want to know, His Detective Sergeant Newt Johnson said. No, I don't. It's the last thing I want to hear. I want to go home, sip four fingers of Highland Park single malt, tuck in for a good night's rest, and dream of the forest green Morgan I just fondled. So tell me the guy dropped dead in mid-step from a coronary, and all you have to do is drag him to the morgue and send flowers. No, sir. He's covered with blood and lying in the snow, and it's colder than a Monsignor's heart out here. And you want me to be miserable, too? Yes, sir, Shard could imagine his crooked smile. Okay, call Periwinkle and get the lab boys on it before all the evidence blows away. <clears throat> I'm on Route 28, and will be there in about 45 minutes. Are you driving your Morgan? Of course, running like a dream. Oh, yeah, could you scramble up some coffee? "'Your your heater on the blink again, Lieutenant?' Shard hung up. Steuben's alley was little more than a wide footpath between Conkling Street and Tilden Ave. Lydon's Main Street, which was Tilden Ave, Shard parked on Tilden and slithered out into the snowy cold wind. Maybe three inches of snow were on the ground, but little of it had blown into the alley. Johnson boomed out, "'Great to see you, sir. Donuts on you after.' "'Shut up,' he said as he caught the drip end of his nose with his glove." Hello, Sergeant Periwinkle, Shard said. I hope I didn't interrupt your festive evening. She glared at him. Shard saw the body lay on its left side with its back against the wall. It looked as if the man had simply lain down, curled up, and gone to sleep. Shard crouched to examine it. Who found him, Shard asked. Joe Duffy, Periwinkle said. Oh, God, Shard thought. Joe was the department's courtesy hire. His family lived in Leiden since its patent was issued after the Revolutionary War and his family tree was laden with mental deficiencies, the result of generations of inbreeding. Joe's younger brother, who was retarded, roamed the streets at all hours with his dog Dizzy. He was harmless enough, but after his parents died, his care fell to Joe, who Shard thought wasn't all that bright either. But the town took care of its own, and a succession of sheriffs had kept Joe on the payroll. Duffy, Johnson, and Periwinkle stood back because they knew that Shard wanted uninterrupted time To take it in, as he put it. He scooted around to the front side of the body and noted that its loafers were old but well-polished. Quality shoes, he thought, still had their leather soles. The corpse's charcoal gray pants of good twill material had sharp creases and were held up with an expensive leather belt. The red and white buttoned down Tattersall shirt likewise was a credit to its owner's taste. No tie, but then at this hour, who would wear one, he asked himself. The biting wind that whistled down the alley made Shard wonder why anyone would be outside without a coat or gloves. The victim looked dressed for an early autumn, perhaps an Indian summer, stroll somewhere. When Shard leaned far to his left, he looked closely at the man's face as he lay in the puddle of blood that spread like a halo around his head. It looked as if the blood had gushed from his nose. As he bent closer, he noticed a bruise above the bridge of the nose that appeared as if it had been made by something heavy. The blow had been enough to make his nose hemorrhage, but he didn't know if it was enough to kill him. Shard's ruminations were interrupted by the sound of a door closing at the conkling end of the alley. It didn't take long for the expected guttural grumbling to echo along the alley's walls. Dr. Waldron Fox was the local coroner, pathologist, veterinarian, internist, and checker champion. And like many of his breed, had a personality that was either shaped by his macabre work or it caused him to take it up in the first place. He preferred his patients dead, and the riper the better. Shard was convinced that Doc had lost his sense of smell right after he was born with that very cigar clenched between his teeth. Shard, Doc said, If you did your job, all murders would take place between dawn and dusk, never between supper and bar closings, never in the snow, and sure as hell never when I'm getting my beauty rest. They all kept straight face. Had Doc slept a thousand years, he wouldn't have been beautiful. A short, stubby man, a human reflection of the cigar he always chewed, he habitually wore a brown tweed coat with hair sticking out all over it, and little copses. Disheveled, half-shaven, gray hair shooting up in all directions, he didn't have to impress his patients. They were his family. He tended them with loving care and a great deal of profanity. Well, he's damned dead, Doc said with a professional mien. Sunday night in Albany. What do you mean you don't know if he was dead, Mr. S, asked his bodyguards, Tiny and Tony. Can't you tell a live corpse from a dead one? What are you, stupid? We think he was dead, Mr. S, but we couldn't tell for sure. It was cold out there, Tiny said. What does that have to do with it? If he's dead, he doesn't care about cold. Where'd you put his body? In the street. You can't be that dumb. Why didn't you toss him in a river? A town dump. Down somebody's well. Somewhere. God, the cops will be all over this by morning. Why did you leave him there? It weren't really a street, Mr. S. It was more like a small road between buildings. I couldn't drive the car down it. it was that small. I don't give a damn how small it was. Why did you leave him there? Tony and me got scared. We didn't know what to do. You didn't say nothing about what we should do if he died. Do you have a brain, Tiny? I think so, Mr. S., Do I pay you good money to use it? I think so, Mr. S. This would have been a good time to see if it works. Did anyone see you guys? I don't think so, Tiny said. What about the kid we almost killed, Tony asked. Tiny shot him a threatening look. You almost killed a kid? Well, what's wrong with you guys? I send you out on an easy little job and you kill half a town. What about the kid? He was laying in the road, Mr. S, in the snow. I didn't see the little bastard and almost hit him, but I didn't. But he saw you. Nah, he was too busy playing in the snow. We got the hell out of there fast. This ain't good, guys. Murder ain't nothing to fool around with. It makes cops antsy. No, Mr. S., they said in unison. That means you need alibis, right? Right. So where were you guys tonight? In Leiden, they said. Idiots, you weren't in Leiden. You couldn't be. Because you were somewhere else, right? Right. Okay, where were you tonight? Silence. Tony and Tiny looked at each other as if they just met. We can't remember, Mr. S. I want you boys here tomorrow morning, the first thing to tell me where you were tonight. Got that? And it better be a good story. So good, your mother would believe it. Tony, if your mother asks you tonight where you were, what do you tell her? Leiden. Sunday night later, in Leiden. Doc rubbed, pinched, and probed his body. He raised its hand and tried to straighten out its upper leg. Shard thought it resembled a slow-motion ballet. Doc stood up and proclaimed, He's still damn dead. We pay premier wages for such professional advice, and we get the best, Shard replied. We would never have guessed. And you want to know how long he's been dead? Yep. I don't know. The cold throws off all the bullshit I usually give you, but he hasn't been here long. Johnson, Periwinkle, and Duffy shifted from one foot to the other as they listened to Doc and Shard go through their lines. Would you hazard that he died this year, Shard asked. Yep. Would you risk your slim reputation on a guess that he died tonight? Yep. This well-rehearsed routine was the only comforting thing about murder, Shard thought. How many hours ago? Exactly three hours and six minutes. Really? Shard opened his eyes wide. What makes you say that? You wanted a time, I gave you one. I'm a generous old soul. If I didn't care what time this fellow died, what would you say? That's different. Rigor is just setting in, but it's so cold, and since he's lying on icy pavement, it's hard to guess. Within the last three hours. Sometime around midnight, Shard asked. That's about right, plus or minus, Doc smiled. I can tell you more after I do him. What killed him? Periwinkle thought the beginning of round two. I could be out of here. I could be out here all night. I'll bet that even a dense copper saddled with an English degree from a public college can see that someone whacked him on the forehead. Was that enough to kill him? It wouldn't have done him much good. In other words, you don't know. Oh, I know. I'm just not telling you. Doc chomped on his cigar. But bag him and deliver him to my cage, cave. I'll do him tomorrow at one o'clock. Shard wondered why Doc always schedules his autopsies right after meals. Come on, guys. Let's go to the office and start our day. But it's only quarter after four, boss, Periwinkle said. Just enough time to for a good lie-in before work. Shard mumbled something she couldn't quite make out as he walked up the alley. Monday morning, in Leiden. That man was bad. Disney raised his head from under the radiator in the post office's foyer and cocked an ear at Luke, whose head rested on the dog's belly. He called me bad names. He almost ran over me in his big red car. He didn't say sorry. Dizzy licked an itch on his side, just above Luke's knit hat. He was big, he used bad words. I bet he don't go to St. Florian's. Dizzy licked the side of Luke's face to finish the job. Someone else was in the car. He yelled bad words too. I was afraid. I heard the church bells. Did you like my angel? Dizzy nuzzled his cold nose into Luke's warm ear. They drug something out of that car. Did you see it, Dizzy? Dizzy nuzzled more. I hope he don't come back. He's bad. Do you like my angel? Monday morning in Leiden. Shard decided to drive home to pick up his department car. This was not a Morgan day. As he approached his trim white Greek revival house, he glanced up at the knee-hole windows. just just under the eaves that marked his childhood bedroom. They gave the house just the right proportions. His rear wheels slipped and then caught as he turned into his driveway, already covered with a half a foot of snow, as he drove into the barn. All the houses on Post Road had small barns behind them, reminders from a time when everyone in Leiden, who could afford it, kept a horse buggy and sleigh. Shard's unpainted barns still smelled of haze. He tucked the morgan in next to his cutter, which reminded him that someday he was going to borrow a horse and a string of bells and take a moonlight sleigh ride. If Hope had stayed, he would have done it tonight. He had never expected to live here again, he thought, as he walked to his back door. After graduating from SUNY Albany, he'd been very happy in the New York State Police, where he'd been the youngest detective sergeant on the force and looking forward to getting married and raising a family. After Hope finished her nurse practitioner's training, they moved in together, and he kept hoping that she'd agree to marry him, until that damn drug rep lured her away. After she left, he had to get out of Albany. Luckily, Sheriff Reeves K. Stutensberger had an opening back home, and he grabbed it. Policing in Leiden was a good job, although he sometimes missed the bustle of a more metropolitan force. A couple of hours later, he pulled into his parking spot behind headquarters and walked upstairs. When he pushed open his door, he found Periwinkle settled in his black leather office chair, feet on his desk, sound asleep. She heard him open the door, cocked an eye at him, and said, "'Good sleeping chair.' Shard knew that. He'd snatched many a nap in it on company time. "'Besides, you ordered me here by seven, and here I am.' "'Yeah, and what have you decided about our midnight corpse?' nothing. <clears throat> Their discourse was interrupted when Johnson blew into the room, wiping snow off his old-fashioned corduroy coat onto Shard's desk in periwinkle's still almost prone form. "'It's colder than a viking's arson nephiscal,' he said in yet another of his arcane Norse references as he settled into the office's only other chair. Neither Shard nor periwinkle asked for an explanation. "'Thanks,' Shard said as he overturned the wastebasket and sat down on it. Let me call this flab to order. What do we have? An unknown male killed in some other way dead about midnight in Steuben's alley on about as bleak a night as you could want. No known witnesses, no ID on the victim, lots of blood on the ground, and an impact mark on his face above his nose. Cause of death? Unknown. And he wasn't dressed to be outside in that weather. Anything else? I wonder why he was in the alley, Perry Winkle asked. If he was killed somewhere else, why wasn't he dumped out in the woods, where he wouldn't be found till mud season, or left in an abandoned car trunk, or weighted down and thrown in the canal basin? <clears throat> Johnson pulled a single sheet of paper out of the thin file on John Doe and read off what they knew. He had exactly nothing. No wallet, no keys, no change, no lighter, no watch, no rings, no necklace, no piercing jewelry, no visible tattoos, not even a handkerchief, he said. Furthermore, there were no legible labels in his clothing. Everything had been washed or dry cleaned so many times the print had disappeared. What about his shoes, Shard asked. Loafers, brown, non-tasseled, size 10 Triple E. Wonderful. A dead man with two wide feet who wore uncommonly common brown shoes. Our first clue, Shard said. That's it? All of it, Johnson said. OK, let's get out into the balmy weather and start the usual routine. You guys talk to the shopkeepers at both ends of the alley. Perhaps the killing was a follow-up to something that started earlier. And Johnson, find out if he bought his shoes in town. And what do you propose to do, boss? Johnson asked. I've kept the roughest job of all. I'm going next door to Schuyler's for some decent coffee and breakfast and listen to the regulars gossip about the dead man and tell me who killed him. That way I'll make the sheriff happy in this re-election season, and after he wins, he will keep us gainfully employed. Mr. Doe may have unwittingly given his life for our good. Now scatter and let me get my buns off this wastebasket before they die. If there was a clue dropped in Schuyler's dining room, Shard missed it. The breakfast was perfect, though. The, the cook, Miss Olandowski, had to be in her 80s, or maybe 90s, Shard guessed, and worked six days a week, had never called in sick in 60 years, and could perform magic on food. She was a gem, exactly what his breakfast companions were not. Chard did learn, however, the history of last week's weather and the forecast for the coming, day, week, month, winter, and indeed well into the next summer, to the day when the municipal pool would open. The regulars, mostly long retired, always got up a pool on the day the swimming pool would open. Its water had to be seventy degrees, and the temperature depended upon the severity of the winter weather, the inches of rain in the spring, and the number of days of sunshine in early summer. It was all very complicated. Shard tried to turn the conversation to his corpse. The old guys knew about the murder, but it had been so far past their bedtimes that it was not as interesting as the weather, which happened before they retired for the night and gave them a reason to wake up every morning. Back in his office, he found Johnson sitting in his desk chair trying to stay awake. What'd you find out, Shard asked? Zilch, nobody ever sold Dexter's here. The closest store that did is down in Utica. Great, but they still bother me, Shard said after a moment's reflection. The shoes looked to be about forty years old, but they still had their original soles and heels that showed little wear. The uppers, however, looked more worn <clears throat> and had been polished often. Shard turned over his desk phone and removed the battery case lid. From the cavity, he took out an unfiltered Camel. They hell with the New York State's no smoking policy," he said. He stared at Johnson for a long minute. Would you go outside on a snowy, icy night in a pair of shoes with leather soles, smooth leather soles? And why choose loafers when it's so cold? Where had someone worn these shoes until they looked middle-aged and yet the soles were so close to new? Only on carpets? Shard's phone interrupted. Lieutenant Shard! The woman at the other end was brusque. Sheriff wants to see you. Be right there. The boss calls, Norseman. Monday morning at headquarters. Shard walked into the sheriff's expansive outer office full of green leather Queen Anne chairs and end tables, dominated, and that was the only way to describe it, by Hilda Blüter, Stutzenberger gatekeeper. If Shard had not known better, he would have pegged Hilda as a member of that cinderblock church that sang hymns at double time, clapped and danced, and spoke in tongues, the ones that did not believe in makeup, skirts, above the ankles, hair stylists, or razors but he knew Hilda was a devout devout worshiper at St. Florian's Roman Catholic Church and the power behind its altar sodality. She chose to look like a prisoner warden with her bulkiness, severe clothes, and hair in a bun. She was as short in the humor department as she was in height, but she knew everything that transpired around headquarters. For all this, Shard thought, she was not an unpleasant soul. "'You look great this morning,' Hilda, Shard said as he winked. "'Same as always.' What kind of a mood is RKS in today? Nobody knew what the case stood for, but Shard and a few others in the know were convinced it was for Kaiser. Pleasant as always and waiting for you to solve last night's murder. We're close, Shard said, she waved him into the inner sanctum. Kaiser Stutzenberger waited, stuffed in his oversized leather swivel chair and looking for all the world, Shard thought, like a sausage being squeezed out of the top of its casing. His walrus mustache only emphasized the notion that he might be wider than he was tall, which was 5 feet 8 inches. His placid Germanic appearance, however, belied a quick mind. He always backed his officers, as long as they were honest and didn't make him look stupid in public. Uniformly, he was in decent humor, but an election year approached and a retired Secret Service agent had declared against him, his first serious competition in a decade. Thus he was more involved than usual with his department's daily affairs. Weather's not the best today, sir, Shard said in an attempt to steer the conversation to safer ground. <clears throat> the Kaiser was a fanatic about the weather. He had one of those electronic gizmos hanging next to his window. that told on the temperatures inside and out, the humidity in both places, the barometer reading, wind speed, and for all Shard knew, the temperature on the first tee at the Mohawk Country Club and the exact minute his wife would drop the olive in his first martini. 28, barometer falling, the wind is gusting to 25 miles an hour, and what do you have on that alley murder last night? All of which Stutzenberger crammed into one sentence. Not a lot yet, but it's early, Shard said, which translated means you have not. Not quite true. We know his gender, approximate time of death, observable wounds, the kinds of clothes he wore, and his odd shoes. That brought a measurable pause. His odd shoes? The sheriff looked surprised for once. And pray tell, what do they tell us? His shoes are probably over 40 years old, Shard said. What kind of a guy wears shoes that old? I do. Yes, but you're not a corpse in an alley, and therefore your penchant for old stuff is not a clue. But it could be in the right circumstances. You don't know who he is. No, not yet. Shard liked to sell his boss, Hope. I don't have to remind you that I have an election approaching and cleared up caseload is a wonderful campaign tool to return me to office so I can pay your salary for another four years. I understand, sir. How's the fundraising coming? State statutes forbid the sheriff from raising political funds from department employees, so Shard felt safe inquiring about what had become his chief's obsession recently. It's still early, the Kaiser said but I have a promise of a very large sum from the developers who backed the new casino, something you understand will be good for this county. Even though the Mohawks will own it and don't have to pay taxes, everywhere in New York the Indians pay voluntary sums, and the county needs this money for schools, roads, and need I mention, our raises and a new department car for you. Char did not follow the political wrangling over permits for the Mohawk casino, nor had he considered its benefits to him. Well, I hope they come through for you, was all he could think to say. Go forth, son, said the sheriff, upbeat at the thought of the casino contribution, and keep me informed so I don't make an ass out of myself. Shard went forth, thinking about his date with Doc in the cave. Monday afternoon in Leiden. Shard prepared for the autopsy by skipping lunch. Ordinarily, he would have walked the six blocks to Doc's, but not when it was cold, windy, and still snowing. Doc's cave was in the cellar beneath the Adirondack Telephone Exchange, a small dark room that was always damp because it was next to the old canal's turnabout basin that was still full of water. Shard could cope with the damp. It was the other smells that got to him. Here we go, Doc said as he ripped the sheet off the corpse. Fairly tall man, exactly five, ten and one half inches. I weighed him earlier. One hundred and sixty-six American pounds. Perfect for a fella his age and size. He was circumcised, Shard noted. Jewish? But that didn't tell you much about a man's social standing or religious orientation anymore. What killed him? Shard asked. I'm not sure. We know more when we open his skull, which I shall do forthwith. Why do people talk that way? Shard thought, as he felt his stomach begin its quick rise to his gullet. Doc lifted the the skull cap and began probing on what had been the man's face, down near where he had taken the blow. "'I don't know about this,' he said around his cigar. "'The blow did not fracture the skull, "'only the upper part of the bridge of his nose. "'But I can't see any bone splinters. "'Undoubtedly it was painful, "'but I can't say it killed him instantly. "'Would it have knocked him out?' "'Quite possibly. "'At least stunned him or made him goofy and groggy. "'But for how long I'm not certain,' Fox replied. "'What are you certain of?' "'Doc looked up with a wry grin. "'He loved this. "'That he's dead.' Monday afternoon in Shard's office. Shard was pleased to see that he was the, he was first back to his office. He was sleepy and made for his desk chair as if it were salvation. He had just steepled his fingers under his chin for a bit of deep thought when Johnson's voice intruded. Working hard, boss? Shard glad, glared at him through one eye. Johnson was hard to miss. At six feet, five inches, and probably 250 pounds, he filled the office. His well-toned 30-year-old bulk was topped off with a mop of startling blonde hair, the legacy of his Viking forebears. A graduate of Bemidji State University, he had majored in criminal justice and minored in, of all things, Scandinavian studies. Because his grandfather had raised Knut on Norse sagas, Johnson habitually spouted references to them. His marriage had gone south sometimes, but sometime back, and he was on the hustle. He knew all the women in town and stayed current on their gossip and pairings, which was sometimes useful in cases. Although only a decade younger than Shard, he moved in very different circles. Bundled in his winter uniform of blue jeans, flannel shirt, and what looked like size 17 boots, Johnson edged into Shard's spare chair and watched his boss rejoin the world. Shard, playing for time, lifted the edge of his carpet and picked up a camel. He'd been trying to stop smoking since Hope left him and had quit carrying his cigarettes in his shirt pocket. Instead, he secreted single smokes everywhere he might need them. The Kaiser wants us to solve this case before his opponent can use it against him. I told him you were right on it. He seemed relieved, Shard said. Johnson returned a thin smile. I survived another one of Doc's autopsies. His bloody conclusion is that he is not sure the blow to the face killed the guy. Knocked him out, maybe but probably didn't cause instantaneous death. Which means he may have died a natural death, aided and abetted by someone who didn't like him, someone who let him die, or something. I have the fingerprints from Doc. Run them through the state crime boys and see what pops up. Maybe we'll get lucky, and he served in the Navy or something. Also, take a browse through the missing persons files to see if our boy is in there. I bet not. I have a sinking feeling that nothing will turn up. Nothing has so far. Get a photo over to the Leiden Sun-Times and down to the Utica Observer Dispatch and ask them to run it tomorrow to see if it stirs up a witness. Shard had always wondered why the local newspaper was the Sun-Times, as it was published in a town with fewer sunny days than any other in the Western Hemisphere. I've been thinking, Johnson said. Periwinkle came in and saw she'd lost her chance for a chair. She picked up the wastebasket, carried it over to the window, turned it upside down, hopped up on the windowsill and put a foot on the trash can. When the maneuver hiked her skirt just above her knees, both men chanced a quick look at her shapely upper calves that disappeared into her high boots. Shard repressed a strong urge to release a sigh. Sharon Periwinkle was also ten years younger than Shard. He hadn't noticed her when he was growing up in Leiden. She was too young. She had turned into a beauty, tall, well-shaped, and with the most beautiful auburn hair he'd ever seen. She majored in social work at Juniana College in Pennsylvania, and after her father suffered a stroke, she moved back to Leiden to help her mother care for him. Four months ago, after graduating from the police academy, she had applied for a job with the sheriff's department. She was one of the Kaiser's better hires. She turned her green eyes on Shard and asked, we talked to all the shopkeepers on Tilden and Conkling. None of them saw or heard anything out of the ordinary last Sunday, Saturday, and they weren't around on Sunday. What does that mean? I'm not surprised. The merchants are not much at rollicking after dark, especially in the winter. But I had hoped they might have seen and remembered something odd. <clears throat> I've been thinking, Johnson said. Perry Winkle continued if she hadn't heard. I saw in the Sun-Times that the Native Americans might get their permit for the casino. That will liven this place up after dark. Yeah, Shard said. But they still have to purchase the land, a lot of it. I'll wager prices around the site have gone sky high. The Kaiser told me that the casino developers have promised to contribute big bucks to his campaign and reminded me this morning that it would be to his advantage to have this case solved before the election. I can believe that. By the way, Perry Winkle said, I saw Luke in the post office festival when I went to buy the paper. He was curled up around Dizzy Dizzy, next to a radiator. Dizzy slept anywhere he wanted, including the stores, and was unmatched in the townspeople's memory for getting his stomach and ears rubbed. I took him and Dizzy over to Patel's for donuts and coffee. Luke kept babbling about the snow angel he made last night in the middle of Toulon Ave. What an idiot, Shard replied, aware he wasn't politically correct. He could have been killed. He said he almost was, at least I think that's what he said. He claims a red car almost ran over him. He thought it was funny. Really, Johnson said. Luke was lucky the guy could see him at night. Of course, any damn fool making angels in the middle of the street is probably pretty noticeable. Okay, enough palaver. It's 4.44, which means it's 5.14 in Newfoundland. Time to have a drink. I'm off to Schuyler's for some deep thinking. He swiveled around, pulled on the Bible, shelved just to the side of his head, perfect for photo opportunities, flipped it to the hollowed out section in the Old Testament, took out a camel, put it in his shirt pocket, and walked over to his coat.